my go-to patterns are, are usually four teens and it'll be a my variation of the, the ruby eye leech which uh, if you know if you if you really want to know for everyone that's out there uh, to, to know what i do specifically is is uh, i'll tie my leeches i tie mostly everything on jig hooks now uh, that's that's been a big go-to and so with my ruby eye leech it's just uh it's all from togans hey so it's a red glory tungsten bead it's a red wire and i use a rabbit fur from either zonker strip or or cross cut I, I don't i don't attach it with the actual uh, strip I'll, I'll cut off pieces tie it in as the tail as well as using it uh, directly as the dubbing it just that so that's that would be one of my go-to patterns uh you know any time of year and then the other one would be uh, a hair's ear nymph but with the materials again i got to be very specific it's uh, it's all uv uh two materials by spirit river and i use uh for the tail and the hackle chartreuse grizzly marabou hackle and so it's really soft material it's a soft hackle it's, it's almost like a cdc uh style but god the movement that it, it creates uh, it's just it's unbelievable and fish just love it so those are my go-to patterns it's a ruby leech and a hair's ear nymph and those my my styles that way Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, a look behind the scenes of the fly fishing world, featuring insight from guides, gear reps, and resort managers, thoughts on entomology, fly patterns, destinations, and plenty of fish stories. An exploration of this lifelong journey we call fly fishing. Here's your host, Mark Hopley, with this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Today, it's my pleasure to have on the program Taylor Culver out of Kamloops, British Columbia. Taylor, thanks so much for coming on tonight. Hey, thanks for having me there. Yeah, I appreciate it. We're going to get into uh, BC uh, Fly Fishing League and whatnot and all the fly fishing uh, good things you're up to in the Kamloops area. But first off, uh, I want to kick the show off. I always like to go back in time, kind of get back to your roots in fly fishing um how did you get into it taylor and uh, where did it all start for you so it actually started back in uh 2014 i was involved in a in an incident that happened at my workplace and it really restricted the hobbies i could get into physically and so it actually sparked my passion for fly fishing and then i started fly fishing some of the local ponds there in uh brampton ontario and Eventually, I uh, made it a pursuit of happiness, and so I got on a Greyhound bus, backpacking a fishing rod, and came out to Kamloops and been here since, and yeah, dove, dove head first into, into the whole scene. I've never looked back and I've just loved it. You can't pick a better city, a better area to do uh, some serious fly fishing, and what made you pick Kamloops? Well, it's exactly that. I mean, honest, uh, i got to be quite honest with you. You know, being young, there's, there's a lot that goes with it, and so, uh, you know, I kind of went with the wind, and found Kamloops to be just a mecca for fly fishing and kind of the right population, uh, you know, demographic, uh, especially weather too here, man. It's just, it's absolutely great. Couldn't be happier. So most of your time spent fishing still waters in the Kamloops area? Uh, essentially, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I do a lot of the fishing based around the local lakes here. And, and when I can, I mean, I've actually been uh, recently getting more enticed by uh, fishing the Thompson River here, south and north. Maybe you can talk a little bit about BC Fly Fishing League. Yeah, it's a great league to be a part of in terms of the, the competition league we're speaking of. It's actually 
been one of the driving factors for how much I've improved within such a short period of time. I mean, uh, you know, fly fishing is quite a daunting task at times, you know, to go out and hook up with a ton of fish. And, and I eventually had enough of uh, my pieces of humble pie and, and smelling a skunk coming home and giving my, you know, my showing my lumps and bumps about, about not catching any fish. And I had enough. And so eventually I found my way into the competitive league because I, I just... That's, I mean, who doesn't want to catch more fish in a shorter period of time and all that good stuff? So the league is really good for that. It has a lot of good mentors. And, I mean, they're just so open with and full of knowledge that, I mean, a lot of people, both new and uh, veterans, would benefit from. So if, if for somebody that's not uh, really aware of the competitive fly fishing scene in British Columbia, what, what does that look like? So um, tell us about how these events take place. So, so essentially, it's uh, it's managed by one of the gentlemen you had on your previous podcast, there, Todd Oshie, and he's done a fantastic job over the course of time that he's been organizing. And so, uh, basically, the the invitation is open to quite literally anybody and everybody, you know, young, old, boy, girl. How it's managed is there's there's different series and levels of the competitions, but mainly there's there's the local competitions that are are lock style, you know, not being anchored and having a drogue to to slow your boat from drift mm-hmm. and then the other competitions that are held are also on the river targeting all species and, and whatnot so the, per competition there are specific rules and can be anything from basic FIPS moose rules and local comps to you know a little bit more specified rules in, in the bigger ones like the North American Lock Style Championships. What, what's your biggest takeaway as far as, you know, a guy that's just, or a gal that's out there just fly fishing, you know, for enjoyment versus yeah. some of these competitions? Like, how does that change things? I look at them as like, yeah, they're two entities, but they go, they go quite literally hand in hand. I mean, um, it, it all kind of started from, from my recreational fly fishing. And, and like I said, um, it's just, it was, I had the mentality, like I just wanted to catch more fish and I wanted to do it faster. And I mean, that essentially led me to the competitive scene and through the competitive scene now when I'm uh, going out taking uh, my family fishing you know whether it's my my mom or my son or my my missus uh, mm-hmm. you know it's it helps with uh, with enjoyment when, when we're constantly hooking up that much uh, how much more so I remember Todd mentioned that too just because competitive fly fishing can help in a lot of different ways even even if you're not into competing you learn so much from it that it makes it makes your time on the water more enjoyable. And I think what, what he was trying to get at is the average angler can can benefit from that. That's right. That's right. I mean, essentially all, what we're all doing once we get to the water, it's the, we're trying to set up as fast as possible, trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together. And, I mean, when it comes to the competition, the better you can do that and the faster you can do it uh, will we'll show. And, and you can take so much from it. Who, who would you say, Taylor, has been the biggest influence in your fly fishing? Oh, geez. Uh, you know what? I'd say the the biggest influence would probably have to be uh, be my kids. You know, the, the reason why I say that is because I remember growing up with my dad fishing in Ontario. You know, it wasn't always fly fishing, but it was, uh, you know, we'd, we'd throw on a bobber and a marshmallow and catch whatever we could, really. But one of the things that drove me from that is that uh, I knew for my kids when I wanted to take them out fishing and, and share the passion and share the hobby that I wanted them to be more involved and more and more engaged and so they drive me to want to do better want to push myself more to, to be that much of a better angler and 
and being able to pass that forward onto the next generation. I mean, they're, they're the future of, yeah, they're, they're the driving factor for it. Yeah, that's cool. That's well said. So do you spend a lot of time at, at the tying bench? Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, I mean, I, again, like I said before, because of my circumstances, I, I the circumstances are, are unfortunate, but what I get to do out of it and what I take from it, man, I spend so much time educating myself and spending time at the bench there just it's it's a, it's a lot of fun and it you know it teaches you a lot it's it's just an enjoyable thing to do right it's a good hobby it's and it's a perfect winter pastime too isn't it when you got a little I, there's not not that there's a lot of ice on the lakes this year but it definitely gives you a little time off the water to kind of contemplate what worked last year what maybe you might want to sit down and tie and maybe some new creations for next season yeah that's right yeah it can uh, it can be it can be quite a quite a crazy kind of experience when it comes to fly tying i mean it it really kind of it's a i see it as like it's a form of art you know it's a form of expression it, you know it shows whether just how how your imagination can run wild with with just the different types of variable factors that, that can essentially honestly it drives me crazy sometimes sitting at the bench there i mean i don't know who, who doesn't get driven crazy you know every now and then yeah yeah sometimes i'll just sit there stare at materials and and not know where to begin you ever you ever get kind of a in that mindset yeah you get that analysis paralysis you know you're you're sitting there and you have this idea or maybe you have this pattern you just saw on youtube and you want to tie up and you go to sit there and then you know you're spending 20 minutes if not more just thinking about hmm, what way can i kind of change it up or maybe <laughs> bastardize the version of whatever you just saw but i mean that's also what what makes it so interesting and what makes it uh completely individual to, to each angler right right that's really well said analysis paralysis i i haven't heard that before i'm curious about your fly selection now when it comes to competitive fly fishing uh when we're out there day to day just looking to tie a pattern on maybe not as much thought goes into it i'm curious how your kind of thought process on picking a fly out of the box uh when it's go time tell me a little bit about that yeah absolutely i mean that's that's kind of you know the million dollar question everyone wants to know is i mean what what do you choose and why and i mean you know what it's just over the period of time it's i've, I've had a lot of experiences where it's the you think you know something and then you know you're you get that piece of humble pie but in terms of fly selection i, I really there's so many factors that i have to put to uh into place but i guess what i'm saying is okay so when you hit a water let's put it this way where, where do you start do you start with a searching pattern are you just looking for hatches that may or may not be happening like how does that work when I go to a body of water and I'm putting all the pieces of the puzzle together and I got to say, okay, this is what I'm going with. One of the first things I go with is a is a general searching pattern. So 90% of the times I'm, I'm, I'm fishing shallow waters, at least the top 10 feet, or, or I'm fishing an intermediate to type 3 sinking line. Once you once you get into it enough to know, even, even uh, right down to um, if it's a wild fish or if it's a stocked fish, to your approach on whether you're going to have a natural imitation or you're going to have a, a an attractor imitation or, or attractor patterns and uh knowing what the fish will like i mean it's it's a it's just a complete guessing game you know you could have all you know what you think or all the puzzle piece put together and you go to choose something and then it's completely different you know you, uh, that's what i'm saying you know just when you think you know something it you know it changes on you so yeah I, I know what you mean by that. Sometimes the digger, the, the the more you dig into things, the more you find out sometimes how little we know. <laughs> it's 
let the fish decide, right? Have you got any memorable fishing uh, stories from your time on the water in the Kamloops area in the past few years that uh, come to mind? I always like to kind of ask my guests, uh, have you had anything weird or wonderful happen to you on the water? Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know what? Over the years, there's been so many memories that have been made. But, you know, uh, I got to say some of the most memorable is, you know, when you're out there with your family and you get to, to watch them uh, have a great time and you're rooting and hollering. But I think one time that stands out the most to me is actually when I uh, I took my mom out to Community Lake, which is uh, it's a just a fabulous lake, uh, local lake here. And we, we went out there and, boy, just a great time. I, we were both just, like, the reason why it stands out the most is because we went in the middle of June and we were just uh, amazed at, at the dry fly fishing for the sedges. I mean, it was just such a such an experience to, to catch these fish and, you know, have her out there, you know, she just whipping the rod around like a, <laughs> like a ribbon performer and, you know, still hooking up with fish. And, you know, when you have times like that, you know, you can have a hoot and holler, crack a beer or something like that. And it's, it's really, you know, that stuff kind of... So, engraved in your in your head for the rest of the time that caddis hatch can be just unbelievable and it, you know what you don't hit it at least i don't hit it every year i think uh years ago i used to see it more often but uh it, the timing the past few years on that hatch has been a bit odd hasn't it yeah yeah it's 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 definitely uh changed over the years of what i found but i mean we went out there and i mean uh, we've been out there constantly uh, throughout throughout the month of june and we just hit it at the right time and it's quite a scene you know what i mean it's it's just the right timing and the stars align and life is life is good you know when you're fishing a dry fly for caddis maybe you can speak to how you like do you have a delayed strike you know sometimes they'll try and drown that that caddis and then come back for it or what's your strategy on that because i always struggle with that you know what it's a lot of fun uh you know it's quite a big learning curve but i found when i'm fishing the caddis pattern first and foremost uh, i mean the size of my fly will consistently either be a 12 or a 14 uh, i mean just as a general size reference but mm-hmm. man what the most fun part about that what i find is honestly i never really set the hook i just i, I, I let the i feel the tension when the fish gulps it because a lot of times though and i've seen it where they come up and they they'll just swipe it over and over until they finally commit like you know they'll yeah. come up and your fly get disappears four times in a row and then on the fifth time you know you feel that tension you lift the rod up and and she's on but i just i what i do is i see if they like it sitting stationary if they like it i keep it going if not i make that wake formation behind the fly that's that they right. just they love it man they'll come up from 20 feet seeing that thing and just hammer it yeah for sure and that's actually really good advice because if you kind of let them take it sometimes that's really hard for for a lot of people to do because you you know the second you see the second you see that uh rise on your fly your the temptation is to lift the tip but uh you kind of just wait it out let them take it is is that what you're saying yeah that's right that, that was one of the biggest things even in the comms was that you know you, you get you get all excited and you you really got to fight your your instincts there and that's all it is is uh they call it the kiss method you know just keep stripping stupid you know and and that's what it is. I, I, it's until I can feel that tension in the line, then I'll lift the rod. Before you know, you know, mm-hmm. that's just that's just my rule of thumb too. What would you say, um, Taylor? Are maybe your go-to patterns on interior lakes in the Kamloops area? And I know that's kind of a general question, but um, you know, what I mean by that is, what fly would you be reaching for more often than not? Okay, so so honestly, there's uh, there's two patterns that I reach for the most often. So. 
first pattern is going to most definitely be Ruby Eye Leech. Now, now when it comes to pattern size, uh, my I always go, my go-to pattern sizes are size 14s and between 12s and 16s, and that's about it. Seldom do I go above or below, but, you know, I have the pattern sizes for the right time, but my go-to patterns are, are usually 14s, and it'll be a, my variation of the, the Ruby Eye Leech. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, if you know, if you if you really want to know, for everyone that's out there uh, to, to know what I do specifically is is uh, I'll tie my leeches. I tie mostly everything on jig hooks now. Okay. Uh, that's that's been a big go-to, and so with my ruby eye leech, it's just a uh, it's all from Togans, hey. So it's a red glory tungsten bead. It's a red wire, and I use a rabbit fur from either a zonker strip or or cross cut. I, I don't I don't attach it with the actual uh, strip. I'll, I'll cut off pieces and tie it in as the tail as well as using it directly as the dubbing it just that so that's that would be one of my go-to patterns uh you know any time of year and then the other one would be uh, a hair's ear nymph but with the materials again i got to be very specific it's uh, it's all uv uh two materials by spirit river and i use uh for the tail and the hackle chartreuse grizzly marabou hackle and so it's really soft material it's a soft hackle it's, it's almost like a cdc uh, style but god the movement that it, it creates uh, it's just it's unbelievable and fish just love it so hmm. those are my go-to patterns is a ruby eye leech and a hair's ear nymph and in those my my style is that way good stuff we're chatting today with taylor culver competitive fly fisher out of kamloops british columbia specifically moved to the kamloops region i, I assume to uh to get in on some of that great rainbow trout and brook trout fishing you got in your neck of the woods. I'm curious, you just mentioned something that uh, I've noticed as a big trend in the past few years, uh, and especially in Europe and with competitive fly fishing, and that's using jig hooks. What, maybe you can explain the big advantage to tying on a jig hook. What, what would that be? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, so a, lot of, a lot of the jig hooks um, were essentially uh, used primarily uh, on rivers, right? And But the the ideology behind them still applies to still water. So what it is, a lot of times is your hook, the way the hook rides is, is facing outward. So in the river, it helps when you're when you're uh, fishing this uh, European nymphing method that it, it helps keep the hook point from uh, deteriorating after bouncing on the bottom. And then the same kind of rule applies in still waters, right? Like if you're fishing uh, in circumstances where like Morgan Lake per se and the fish are cruising in less than five feet of water, mm-hmm. uh, you can cast something out like, with a jig hook and have it right over top of the weeds and when the fish takes it you know it sets up more primarily in the upper lip so there's a lot of technical reasons why i use jig hooks and and they really have been shining and standing out in the last last couple of years and getting a lot of popularity yeah for sure when, when you tie taylor on on a jig hook is there a specific brand hook that you like to use your go-to yeah you know what um a lot of i gotta be honest in terms of because I'm a frugal guy, I like Togans. They've they've been an awesome supplier. You know, great great products for quality versus the price. But mm-hmm. I know uh, if I were to have a choice, I would definitely go with Hanix. Hanix are just you know that's that's a go to. That's what uh, you know everyone uses, and I mean they use it for a reason. But my go to is Togans and Hanix. Yeah, yeah, no, that's well said. That they, they do make a. A great hook. I'm, I'm curious about your upcoming schedule. So, um, you know, we're starting a new year here. And as far as competitive fly fishing and just getting out in general, you start kind of, I'm sure, mapping out your season. What uh, What's your competition schedule look like for, for 2019? Yeah, you know, it's it's uh, 
it's looking bright. It's looking good. You know, I've, uh, over the course of 2018, I've been placing pretty well. So for 2019, the way it's uh, scheduled is they got, I believe it's a river competition in March and April. And then I know there's uh, lake competitions in May and June, uh, as well as for the provincial river competition held in the, on the Smokamine in July, I believe. And then afterwards, I think uh, August is a break. And then come uh, September, October, it gets back into uh, lake competitions. And then there's the North American Lock Style Championships. Uh, that are going to be held uh, this September. And Kamloops, actually, again, it's just been a great host for it. And hopefully this year will be a bigger turnout with um, some international competitors coming from the UK. So it's looking really good this year. So did you take part last year in the uh, in the North American Lockstyle Fly Fishing Championships? Yeah, yeah. I, I was fortunate enough to attend that and, and just had such a splendid time. I tell you what, it was it was quite an experience. That's for sure. What's a, speak to the camaraderie on on this tour and this league, if you will. I mean, how does everybody uh, do? People share uh, information out there. What does that look like? Or are people kind of tight lip? <laughs> hey, you know what? Uh, that's that's just one of the things about uh, competitions. You know, and they're competitions for a reason, and that's one of the things that I also thought too was like, you know, the, what I find is there's there's two perspectives. It's either uh, you know, you either have the perspective like, look, I've put in the hard work, the time and dedication to learn what I've learned. Uh, I'm not going to share that with you just, you know, your first time in and, you know, you got to put in the, it's like seniority kind of rules. Mm-hmm. And so uh, there's there's that uh, perspective, but then there's also the perspective of like, uh, like how Todd said, just the complete and utter openness. And I actually had that experience with multiple uh, boat partners that I, that I uh, shared uh, the boat with that. Uh, straight up told me they they come and tell you it's uh, do you want to work together as a team you know because you can work together as a team and uh place well as a team or uh you know and then you can risk uh that person and the other team taking information to theirs and right. uh, placing better or you can keep it hush hush and you know so so it's a real personalized kind of perspective and it all depends on how much how much you want to share you know so it's it's sure. and as the competitions get more serious they you know, then it becomes like even more, you know, hush hush. And so there's there's lots of interesting things in, in that perspective, but pretty open for the most part and, and, and uh, right. welcoming. Maybe you can speak, um, Taylor, to how the competitive side of things has maybe made that learning curve that much quicker. Yeah, you know what? Um, essentially going into these competitions and speaking with these gents, um, it can be as simple as saying, hey, what were you using? Uh, and then, you, you know, you're getting information just handed to you. But then also one of the things is that, you know, in these competitions, you can see, you know, that there's there's guys catching no fish, one fish, two fish, and, and going up incrementally. And then you can see that there's guys that are catching 10 fish, 15 fish. And it really helps you kind of look at it and say, you know, where did I place, you know, what was I doing and what were they doing differently and how can I, how can I change in it? It just helps you, uh, you know, use your, use your brain power a little bit more, you know? How much homework do you do? You know, like, so let's say, <laughs> let's say you're in a competition, you know, it's on a certain lake. Maybe tell us a little bit about some of the details or, or I mean, are you on the net looking things up? Are you talking to anglers? Are you talking to people that fish that lake that you know personally? How, how does the, the homework kind of pan out? Yeah, you know what? Um, I mean, uh, to each their own. Everybody takes it as far as they want to. And like for me, fly fishing, uh, competitive scene, uh, but, but you know, just the fly fishing in general, 
um, it's such a passion to me that, that you know, the homework that I do or, or anytime I have the opportunity to read or talk, you know, anytime I'm even in a store and, or the local Tim Hortons and I hear somebody in line uh, say something about fish, you know, my ears perk up. And, <laughs> and so when it comes to homework, it all depends on how much time and effort and dedication you're willing to, to put towards it but i look like what's his face or jack nicholson when he busts his head through the door and says here's johnny i, I get you know <laughs> it gets pretty crazy with the amount of with the amount of information i try to educate myself on it's endless that's funny jack nicholson that hasn't come up yet <laughs> well i'm sure everyone knows the scene where this guy he's just looking like he you know he's worked overtime hasn't slept in three days and i mean that's uh, that's almost everybody's situation that i've talked to in the fly fishing scene i mean everyone has a little bit of crazy when they're doing this kind of yeah hobby, you know? i hear you yeah it's it, well it's passion to a new it's a new level it's next level kind of stuff i always i like to ask uh our guests uh on the program if you could change something about fly fishing, um, is there anything in the sport you'd like to see change? Um, you know what? I think it would just be, and it's it's hard to say because, again, from from an opinionated point of view, and also how long I've I've been involved and whatnot. The only thing I would I would like to see changes is uh is education. You know, uh, being able to actually educate others, like individuals, whether you know they're they're into it or not, but um, having a just a greater understanding of, of what fishing, not necessarily fly fishing, but just, you know, when you're, when you're out there dealing with, uh, you know, wild animals, uh, you know, you should really do your homework and educate yourself on, on what you're doing and how to do it safely and all that good stuff. So that's, that's the only thing I would like to see changes. People mm-hmm. doing their, their homework before they're just going out on the lake and doing their thing. Yeah, fair enough. Hey, well, I, I want to thank you so much for taking the time today, Taylor. Uh, I really appreciate it. And, one thing I want to say is is just uh, good luck in this competitive season with the uh, BC Fly Fishing League and also the upcoming uh, North American Lockstyle Fly Fishing Championships. And, and good luck in this uh, upcoming season. Hey, thanks so much, man. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water.